been going through a book in the Bible, in the Old Testament. It's a book that doesn't get talked about a lot, but it's a, it's a book that deals with some of the frustrations and problems and complaints uh, that we have in life and this longing, searching for something more out of life, which is something that we all feel at various times, a, a desire and a hope and a, and a longing and even a searching for something more in life. And so this is what we've been talking about, and we've talked about several different ways that we look for something more or areas in our life that we feel that need for something more. In our relationships, we long for something more, and in money, we long for something more, and in happiness, we long for something more, and just controlling uh, the, the time that we have, we, we long for something more. But oftentimes what happens is this, that, that we look around the world and we feel maybe, you know, maybe I can't control the world around me. I might not be able to control the amount of money I have and my longing for more there or even the relationships I have. I might not be able to control those things in my searching and longing for more there, but maybe what I can control as I search for more and maybe where I can find something more in life is just in myself. That if I can, if I can experience internally something more, then that's where life will experience more fulfillment and more joy if internally... I can feel some of that. So maybe that's in uh, just this feeling of value, of if I can feel a, a deeper sense of value, of that I matter, or that, that I have a sense of worth or belonging or acceptance, if I can feel internally this longing achieved in life internally, then, then maybe life will be good. If I can be more confident or if I can have a greater sense of my worth and, and, and we feel that often. It gets expressed in different ways. We might articulate that in different ways, but we, we usually, as we look at the world, kind of start to at some points in our life go, man, I can't control everything out here, but I can me. If I can be better, if I can know more, be wiser, or be a more loving person, or, or uh, grow in different ways and improve my learning or my emotions or my morality, or just if I can improve myself, maybe I'll find kind of the something more in life that I'm looking for. Uh, the New York Times a couple of years ago had a column where this author, I think, uh, and I'll just kind of read you the beginning of this, but I think he really kind of touched on this. And this isn't a Christian perspective. It's just, it's just what we all feel. And he, he calls it the enduring hunt for personal value of just, man, if I can feel this sense of value, then life will be good. And, and he, he starts off with this. This is Michael Phelps. He starts off and says, why does Michael Phelps keep returning to a brutal training regimen in the pool long after he's achieved every imaginable accolade as a swimmer? Why do men who have earned hundreds of millions of dollars, even billions, work relentlessly to earn even more long after it could possibly make any material difference in their lives? Why does, I love this one, why does a substantial group of politicians with no remote chance of being elected president feel compelled to traverse the country campaigning 18 hours a day for more than two years? He says, why, why is it that we do these things? And obviously, you know by the headline uh, why he says. And then he says, as little as these varied people have in common, their shared core hunger is for value. Once our basic needs are met, we human beings arguably crave value above all else. We each want desperately to matter, to feel a sense of worthiness. In a 2008 analysis of more than 200 studies, the highest rise in the subject's level of cortisol, a hormone released into the body in response to stress, 
were prompted by what researchers summed up as threats to one's social self or threats to one's social acceptance, esteem, and status. The thing that we most kind of stress out about and our body most reacts to is when we feel we're losing that sense of value. And so this hunger, this search for value, for worthiness, to desperately matter, to, to feel this, this is often where we, where we start to pursue something more. Maybe I can't control the world around me, but, but what if I can feel this sense of worthiness and this sense of value? And this is something that we search for, something that we all want, something that we all desire, and we look for it in various ways. Maybe you're not Michael Phelps. If you are, please come talk to me after this so I can get a selfie. Um, it'll be the second one I think I've ever taken, and I would love to post that. Um, and maybe you're not a billionaire, and afterwards, if you are, come talk to me. I'd love to get more than a selfie. Uh, <laughs> but, but a selfie would work, too. But maybe it's not those things, but it's different things for us, right? And think about just yourself. Don't, don't think about other people, but, but for you, as you want and long for that sense of value or to matter or to feel that sense of worthiness, what is it for you? What, what do you here's some ways to think about that. What, what do you pride yourself in? Like, what do you say, here's something that I'm good at. Maybe it's something ever since you've been a kid that you've prided yourself in, or, or maybe it's something that only recently you've started to make a turn or a change, and you really pride yourself in something. What do you pride yourself in, or, or maybe what do you want to be known for? What would you hope other people would say about you when they think of you? What do you try hard at to be good at? How would you know, based on the article, how would you know that you had value or that you had a sense of worthiness or that you desperately mattered? How would you know? Maybe it's not in elections or in swimming, but how would you know? How would you know, man, I feel value. I feel like I matter. I feel like I'm good. I feel like my existence is, is good. How, how would you know that? It's different things for all of us, but I, I think he's right that we each have this hunger within us. And it, and it may be for you, your job, the kind of job that you have. This is why oftentimes people get really frustrated when they're in a, what we call a dead-end job. It's not so much just that we don't like the actual work, although that can be the case, but it's often, man, I don't feel valued in this job. Or I feel like I'm stuck and that, that I'm not using my potential or I'm not using what I could be using. And oftentimes we get frustrated in our job because we look to the job to be the thing that says, here is my value. Or it might be not our job per se, but our work ethic. Maybe for you, something that you go, you know, this is how I feel value. This is how I know that I'm somebody that, you know, matters. Or this is what I feel really proud about myself in is my work ethic. I'm the kind of person that works hard. Whatever I do, I put my mind to it. I work hard. And that's something, maybe for a long time, maybe you, that got passed down from parents or grandparents, and, and you really feel a sense of pride of, man, I have a strong work ethic. Or maybe it's the kind of friend that you are, that you feel like, man, I'm a good friend. There's not a lot of great friends out there, but I'm a good friend. And that's something that I, I want to be known for. That's something that I want to be seen as. That's something that, that I really pride myself in is I'm a good friend. Or maybe it is money, as, as the author mentioned in his article of, man, I, I will feel a sense of 
worthiness, if I am able to kind of work hard and get to a certain income level. Or maybe it's the kind of parent you are. That you maybe, and a lot of times if you have bad parents, it's even more so overreactive that you, that you feel like, man, I want to be the kind of dad that my dad wasn't to me. I want to be a good dad. Or I want to be the kind of dad, well, maybe it's the opposite. Your, your parents were really great parents and you want to match up to them. My mom was great. I want to I be a great mom. And I pride myself in loving my kids and pouring myself out for my kids and, and putting them above me. And, and that is a lot of where my value comes from is I know I'm a good mom or I'm a good dad or I'm a good husband or I'm a good wife or, or maybe just your beliefs or your religious uh, ideology. It, it can be all sorts of different things. It can be even uh, a sense of discipline. It can be a sense of discipline of knowing, man, I, I, I matter and I've got value and I feel a sense of worth because I'm the kind of person that's disciplined. My yes is yes. My no is no. I get things done or the opposite. I'm relaxed. I don't get things done, you know, and I feel great about it. Everybody around me is so stressed, and I'm relaxed. We all want this. We all hunger for this, this sense of value and to matter and to feel a sense of worthiness, and we look in various things for this. The, the Bible's word for this is righteousness, this feeling that we are right that we are good, that we are okay, that we have value, that our existence is justified, that we matter in some ways. That's, that's the Bible's language for this. And as we look at the next part of this book in Ecclesiastes, he's going to say this, and we'll talk about it, but he's going to say that if we are hungering and searching for value, ultimately, it's vanity. Which is to say, as he has said about so many other things, ultimately, it doesn't work. It runs out if we're searching for finding more in life, in searching for our righteousness or our value in things. He says it's vanity. And we'll talk about, we'll talk about a few things today. We'll talk about what happens when we search for these things. What happens when we have this hunger, as the author said? What happens when we are searching after these various ways? And why, why they often frustrate us, and if it's possible to find that. If it's possible to find the value and the sense of we matter, if it is possible to find that. So we'll, we'll talk about these, talk about these uh, three things. And so let's begin with this Ecclesiastes 7, 15 through 29. And I'll read the whole thing and then we'll talk about it. He says this, in my vain life, I've seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? 
I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So this search for righteousness, what happens as we seek to be righteous? And again, that's the Bible's word for the, the idea of this search for value and for worthiness and for to, to matter and all those different things that we have to know I am right, I'm okay, I, I'm good. What happens as we seek to be righteous? And here's how he intros his conversation around this. He says, he says look around the world. And he says, when I look around the world, you know what I see? He says, I see good people, and we've all seen the same thing. I see good people that die. I see righteous people and wise people that say, I want to live a good life, and, and they die young. They die young. I mean, all you got to do is open up the news, and every single week there's some tragic, horrible story about some good person, by all accounts, that dies, some tragic, horrible death at, a, at an early age. And those can be people that we go, man, they had so much going for them, or they had so much future ahead of them, or man, they, if it's students, they were, they were good at their, you know, in, their, in their class, and everybody liked them, or, or man, this person was the best mom, or, I mean, or the best dad, or I mean, they, they were always serving others or giving to others, and they die. And, and a, good, a good person dies at a young, early age. I saw something in the news, I think a couple days ago, about some gal high school student who was loved by everyone, and I'm not going to say everything that happened, but horrible, I see some kids in the room, so I'll stop, so, but bad stuff. And then there's old, and then there's people that are evil, that do evil things, that live to a long age. I just saw, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, some Nazi in his um, 90s, I think, uh, in living in Minnesota or something, and it escaped all the you know war crime trials and all that stuff, and they finally found him. But you've got this guy that is living in America, had done horrible, evil things, and is living a long, long, long life, right? And so he opens up this section saying, here's something that we see. You've got good people that die young, and you've got evil people that live long, prosperous lives. And so his point with this, as he as he continues in this passage, his point is this. You can't control life by some sort of karma. Uh, if I do good things, then my life will go well. And if I do bad things, life won't go well. And I just have to kind of balance it out. You can't control life by some sort of karmic uh, function. And he says, yes, wickedness is bad. Don't be a fool. Don't be wicked. Don't do that. His point isn't so therefore be an evil person. He said, wickedness is bad, but, but if you think, and if, if you and I think that we will find something more, that we'll find and feel fulfilled and satisfied, and life will go well if we seek to just better ourselves and 
and achieve whatever thing it might be, being a good friend or being a good wife or being a good husband or being a good worker or having a hard work ethic or being disciplined or being relaxed or, or being open-minded or having the right beliefs or whatever it is. If we, if we think, and life will go well for me if I pursue these things that, will, that we would call self-righteous in some way, he says, you're wrong. That if there's anything in your life that you say, I'm pursuing this, I hunger for this, this will bring me value, this will bring me worthiness, this will help me matter. He says, look, in the end, life doesn't work like that. And he's not saying be bad, but he says, don't be overly righteous and don't seek to be overly wise. And he's not saying, so find some medium. He's not saying, so, you know, during the week kind of be righteous, and then on the weekend, you know, be a freak. You know, he's not saying that, <laughs> you know, like channeling some ludicrous song or something, you know. Um, I'll let you fill in the rest of that, but he's, he's not saying that. He's saying, he's saying, look, if you pursue these forms of righteousness and value, that ultimately it will destroy you. That's what he says. He says, it will destroy you. That when something becomes, this is what I have to have. This is my sense of, this is how I know I matter. This is my identity. This is my value. This is my worthiness. If you are pursuing those things as that for you, ultimately, he says, it will destroy you. That's important to listen to, right? If he says, look, don't be, and maybe you didn't expect to hear this at church, don't be overly righteous, don't be overly wise, or it will destroy you. That's probably not what we expect when we come to the Bible to say. But here's, here's what he means when he talks about destruction, and, and, and we have felt this in different ways, haven't we? That it, it destroys us, and think about those things for you that you pursue as value. It destroys us, and maybe we get tired and stressed. You know, so it's very common these days for people to talk about, man, I'm burnt out, or man, I'm so stressed, or, or this, this stuff is, ah, man, my life is kind of hectic or crazy. And, and what are we talking about when we're saying that? Well, maybe it just means we have a lot going on. But a lot of times it's stuff happening underneath that at the heart level. Like, why is it that so many people experience this burnout? Or why is it that so many people experience life as stress, life as pressure, life as just this kind of, oh man, it's, everything's hectic right now. Why? You know why? Because if there's something that we are pursuing as this will give me value, this will give me worthiness, this will give me identity, this will give me righteousness, then it's tiring to pursue those things. It's the work that we have underneath the work. There's work happening underneath our work here. We, we may be working in our job. We may be trying to do good at various things. We may be trying to serve people. We may be trying to be a good friend. We may be trying to be loving. We may be trying to follow Jesus. All these different things. But underneath, there's this other work. This work for, I'm fighting for value. I'm fighting for my worthiness. I'm fighting for my identity. I'm fighting for my righteousness. And what ends up happening is we get tired, right? We get burnt out. We get stressed out. Because it's not just a thing that we're trying. We're not just trying to do a good job. We're trying to fight for our value, 
our righteousness. We've got this hunger, as the author said, this hunger for our value. And so we end up getting tired. Or it destroys us in that we find ourselves always comparing ourselves to other people. We find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people to see where we are, to see where we stand. See, if something is righteousness for you, if something is value for you, if something is identity for you, if something is worthiness for you, you will always find yourself comparing, usually in secret. You don't go up to somebody and go, hey, so can I compare myself to you for a second? <laughs> Maybe you do. And you've reached a very far end over here, right? But it's, it's usually in secret. But we find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people. And it's only in the thing, like, who, think about this. Who do you compare yourself to? You only compare yourself to people that are on the same sort of scale of value and worthiness, right? Michael Phelps would compare himself to other swimmers, not golfers. He doesn't care. Like, I don't compare myself to NBA players. I don't care. Like, and that would just be like, I would feel bad all the time, right? <laughs> I can barely dribble. I mean, I'm, seriously, I can barely dribble. Uh, my little sister just started playing basketball. I think she's uh, 14, and she... Um, you know, the usual questions if you're asking kids about their basketball. It's like, well, how many shots did you make? But I didn't ask that because I don't care. I was like, so did you pick up the ball ever? You know, were you able to get a rebound? Because that's what matters, you know. That's what people, people that are bad at basketball are like, well, I'm good at defense. You know, that's, um, <laughs> that's what I always say. It's like, oh, I'm good at defense. Yeah. It means I can stand there and go like this. But anyways, so <laughs> you, don't, you, you compare yourself to people that are on the same scale. I don't compare myself to NBA. I don't compare myself to people that know a lot about cars, but I compare myself to other pastors and how they're doing. You see, he says this. If you've got this sense of value out there somewhere and the sense of worthiness out there somewhere and the sense of righteousness out there somewhere, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy you because partially you may just totally get burnt out and tired because you're fighting for your identity. You're fighting for your worth. And that's a hard battle to fight for. But it may also destroy you because you're always comparing yourself to other people. Which usually ends up we get jealous because we compare ourselves to people and they are further along than we are and whatever it is. We get jealous and, you know, there's, it's really popular nowadays to look at social media and say, oh, social media, that's fake. You know, everybody's putting their best foot forward and it's a lie and nobody's really that happy. And it starts to kind of sound really bitter, right? Like, nobody's that happy. That's a lie. You don't, this, I, your life sucks. Those pictures are fake. You know, you Photoshop those smiles, you know? And obviously we do put our best foot forward, but I think there's also this kind of backlash of we compare ourselves to others. And so we look at things that are presented that maybe their life is going well. Maybe their life is going good, but because we compare ourselves to others, you can't be having that much fun. You can't have that many friends. You can't really have that many, you know, we, we feel this sense of, and it destroys us. Or we feel proud because we compare ourselves to other people and we feel, man, I'm doing way better than they are. My life is going way better. I have, I am a harder worker. I am more disciplined. I am more educated. I am a better husband. I am a better mother. I am a better father. I am a, and those different things that we have on the scale it starts to destroy us internally because we always find ourselves comparing to others. We think about, man, this person started their career at the same time I did. And now they're further than me. And we compare. 
Or this person started their career at the same time I did, and look how far I am ahead of them now. Nobody thought I could make it. We compare, and it starts to destroy us. Or maybe it begins to destroy us because we just feel down. And maybe you're not depressed, and maybe you're not despairing, but, but if we've got this sense of value and this sense of worthiness and this sense of righteousness and this enduring hunger for value, as the author said, and we're trying and we're seeking to be wise, to be righteous, as Ecclesiastes says, oftentimes what happens is this. We know we don't measure up. We know that we do not measure up. If we've got some standard up here of being disciplined and we look at our life and go, but I'm not as disciplined as I'd like to be. Or we've got a standard of being open-minded, but then we're confronted with the reality that, man, I'm not as open-minded as I'd like to be. We've got this sense of I will have some value and I prize myself in being a good friend, but I'm not as good of a friend as I'd like to be. Or being like Jesus and we look at our life and go, I'm not as much like Jesus as I'd like to be. And so we often just feel down. Maybe you feel this consistently. Maybe you feel in your life just as a failure or like a, a loser or you might call it low self-esteem, or uh, we just kind of feel down. And it can be just the whole current under your life, or it might be in particular instances where you fail this, this sense of value and righteousness that you're fighting for. But if we're honest, and I'm not asking you to raise your hands and be, you know, say, yes, this is true, but I, I just know it's true. If we're honest, man, we often feel like, man, I'm just, I, I kind of feel like a failure. I kind of just feel, and we can feel down. And I don't live up to what I want to live up to. I don't live, I, I've got this, this is how I know I'll have some worth and some value, and I, man, I don't live up to it. And so we can feel down. Oftentimes we, we may feel like we're letting other people down. Maybe we feel like we're letting um, our friends down or our parents down or someone's expectations of us down. Or we may feel like we're letting God down. But a lot of times we also just feel like, man, I'm letting myself down. It's not so much that we necessarily care about others, although we can, but, but a lot of times we just feel like, man, I'm, I, I'm letting myself down. And if we've got this sense of value or worthiness that we desire and want to have, and we'll know we're good, we'll know we're okay if we have that, when we don't meet up to it, we feel down. And maybe you're in a funk. A lot of the time, and you don't even know, man, why, why am I in a funk? Why am I sad? Why, why do I feel the blues? It's probably because you feel like you've let yourself down. Down from what is up there, this standard, this value, this righteousness. And so that means a lot of times we're really insecure. Right? We're really insecure. Not sure where we stand. So it destroys us. He says, here's what happens. If you are overly righteous, if you are overly trying to be wise, which is to say, if, if that is how you know, man, this is where I will get value in life. Whatever type of thing it is for you, it says it will destroy you. It will destroy you. I mean, that's important to listen to. This will destroy you. It'll destroy you emotionally and spiritually, and, and it'll destroy our relationships too. To say it'll destroy you doesn't just mean it'll destroy you individually, but it'll destroy you. 
It'll destroy the community and the relationships we have because, because here's some other things that that begins to do. If we've got these ways that we find value and righteousness and worth, it'll destroy us because all the ways I said, but it destroys our relationships because we begin to get judgmental towards other people. So much of our judgmentalism comes from, I've got this thing that to me is righteousness and value, and so I look down on others that don't have that. If this is my sense of righteousness, if this is my sense of worthiness, if this is my sense of value, then I have to begin to assess other people based on that. Because if I say, look, this is what matters in life, even though I'm talking about for myself, I begin to assess other people based on that. And we do this with all the, the different avenues that we find ourselves in. The more some, here, here, this is important. The more something is of value to you, the more something is important to you, the more something is central to your identity, the more something is something that you would say, I pride myself in being good at this. So fill in the blank for whatever that is. I pride myself in being good at this, or I want to be good at this. The more that that's true, the more we judge others based on that standard and look down on others that aren't meeting that standard. This can be with something like uh, all the different things I mentioned. It can be your, your open-mindedness and flexibility of life. That if you're the kind of person that says, man, I just kind of go with the flow and I'm not uptight and you know, I don't have a stick in any places that it shouldn't be and I just kind of, you know, I just, I'm relaxed. I'm relaxed. Then you look down on people that are uptight. You go, man, they're always stuck to their schedule. They're always pulling out their calendar. They're always, and look down on those people. And vice versa. If you're somebody who says, man, I live my life planned and organized and disciplined and I'm on time, and then you start to look down on people that are a little more loose, that are a little more organic, that are a little more disorganized or late, wicked. Um, <laughs> see, there it is. That's what happens. It's an illustration, a live illustration right here. Or if you're somebody that as a parent, you say, you know, I'm the, I'm the kind of parent that lets my kids just kind of uh, more, I, you know, I saw this documentary once of these kids, I think it's somewhere in Europe, and they like send these kids out in this crazy like junkyard with fires and all this stuff, and they're just like, it's this philosophy of, man, just let them explore and play, and, and it's, I think it's really cool, I want to go play with them. And there's some parenting that's a little more like that, this self-exploration and let your kids kind of run free and, and create their own boundaries and figure out life. And then you start to judge other parents that are more structured and, and, and more, um, maybe more disciplined more often and judge those parents. And so it starts to destroy relationships because if we've got this sense of value and righteousness and worthiness in something, we look down on others that aren't in that way. We can do this with our race. We can do this with our income level, with our education level. We can do it with our political beliefs. We can do it with stage of life. I mean, married people can think, man, I'm married. And man, single people, they just don't get it. Single people just don't understand. Single people are immature. And single people can look at married people and go, married people. They don't understand. They don't get it. And parents can do this to people that don't have kids. 
And people that don't have kids can do this. People that do have kids. We can do it with our age. Oh, well, I'm five years older than them. What do they know? And we, we have all these different weird... This is why we're constantly measuring things. Of how old am I? How many years I've been married? Or how many years I've been single? Or how many, how many relationships I've had successfully or unsuccessfully? We're constantly measuring because it, it allows us to have a sense of superiority over other people. Think about this for you. Don't think about other people. Think about it for you. Who have you thought about, you know what, when they get to this stage, when they get to this level, then maybe they'll kind of shapen up a little bit. See, that's, you're basing your value in something, maybe as simple as your age or your marital status or, or your education level, that then you can look down on other people. So it destroys relationships because it creates a judgmentalism. But it also destroys relationships. He mentions this specifically. He says, I love this. He says in verse 21, do not take to heart all the things people say. Do not take to heart all the things people say, lest you hear your servant, or you know, someone you work with, or whoever it is, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. I, you know what he says here? Here's what he says. Everyone in this room, you've spoken trash about other people. Every single person in here, you have spoken trash. You've, you've talked behind people's back. You've gossiped about people. You've said things bad about people that you wouldn't want them to know. Every single person in here. Me too. And every single person in here has someone say something about you behind your back. So point to someone that you've said something bad about really quick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's just get it out in the open. No, but what he's saying is this. He says, look, if you've got this sense of righteousness, this sense of value, this sense of worthiness, you know what's going to happen? It's going to destroy your relationships because you're going to be really concerned about what other people think about you. You're going to be really concerned about, and I love his kind of approach is just like, you know what? Yep, they might be talking crap about you and you've talked crap about them, so let's just be real. But, but the point is this, if you've got this sense of righteousness and value out there, I mean, he's not just throwing that verse in there randomly. If you've got this sense of righteousness, you're going to be really attuned to what other people think of you. You're going to be really concerned about what other people think of you. You walk up on a conversation and you hear your name. Hey, what were you guys saying? You're going to be really attuned to what other people think about you and say about you. Because if your value, if your worthiness, if your righteousness is in something out here, it will destroy you. And part of that is it, it destroys your relationships because you become really sensitive about what other people think. And look, here, here, I know this. Look, we all say this. I don't care what anybody thinks about me, right? We all say that, okay? And then we all know it's BS too, right? All of us care deeply about what other people think about us. You would actually be a sociopath if you didn't. We all care deeply about what other people think about us, no matter how popular it is to say otherwise. We all do. But the more something is value to you, the more something is righteousness to you, the more something is this is where my worth is, the more it destroys relationships as well as you because you start to go, what do they think of me? What do they think of me? Which can create a lot of defensiveness. Somebody criticizes you or feels like they're criticizing you on one of the things that you're building your value in. 
man, it feels like a deep attack. It's an assault on your identity, not just, not just a comment. Parents, if somebody tells you how to raise your kids or gives you some suggestions, oftentimes, what do you go, oh, thanks for the feedback? No. Really prickly, like, whoa, who are you to tell me what to do with my kids? Or maybe we need help. Or same thing, if, if you're somebody that is, if you're somebody that, really just anything in our life, <laughs> anything in our life that we get feedback from, how to do our jobs or what we should do with even, even our Christianity. Hey, have you thought about kind of this way of relating to God? Or, and we get really prickly if something is our sense of value. Because it feels not just like somebody's giving a suggestion, but that they're attacking our worth. Somebody's attacking your worth is what it feels like. Someone's attacking your value. And so it starts to harm our relationships because we get very defensive. And so we do exactly what happens in this passage where we go, what did they say about me? I heard them saying something about me. What were they saying about how I do my job or how I raise my kids or how I handle my marriage or how I live my life with God? And that's none of their business. And who are you to judge me? And we have all those comments that say, don't ever interfere with this because we don't want our value affected. We don't want our worth affected, which is also why we so often say, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. It's like, well, if we're saying that so often, then it probably reveals we really care about what other people think about us. It destroys our relationships, which oftentimes means that we actually seek out really shallow relationships. Only people that make us feel good only people that are like us, only people that won't ever confront our basis of value and righteousness. So here's what he says. He says, don't be overly righteous. Be overly wise. Yes, don't be wicked. I mean, he, he wants to make that point too. Don't be wicked. And wisdom is good. Wisdom is better than 10 you know, strong people in a city. So he says, yes, it's good. He wants to make sure everybody understands that. But he says, we can have this pursuit of righteousness, this pursuit of of wisdom, where we feel like if we have that, life will be good, I will have value, I will have worth. And he says it destroys us. It will destroy you. It'll destroy your relationships. It'll destroy the way that you hear other people around you. It'll destroy you. And so here's a question. Why does this craving for righteousness destroy us? And we talked about the different things that happen when we have this craving, this seeking, this, as the author says, enduring hunger for value. But why does that destroy us? And here's the answer. And, and he says this repeatedly. Here's the problem. We're not righteous. Here's the problem. We don't have the value that we are aiming at. That's the problem. So he, he goes through this and says, look, you, there's not one person on earth that doesn't sin and is, not right, and, is, and is righteous. He says, there's not one person, there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And, and you can boil that down to all the different ways. There's not a righteous person on earth that always does good at their job and never fails at it. There's not a righteous person on earth that is always a good friend and never fails at it. There's not a righteous person on earth that is always the kind of mom or dad or father or wife or husband or Christian or disciplined or relaxed or whatever. There's not one person on earth that always does good and never fails at it. 
He says, look, here's my conclusion at the end. He says, here's my conclusion. I've looked throughout all the earth, and here's what I've seen. Here's what I've seen. We create many schemes that God made us good originally back when God created man and woman. God made us good. But we create many schemes over and over and over and over and over again. He says, look, maybe there's, he says, in my, and he's talking autobiographically here, he says, look, I have, I've found maybe one a thousand men that, that I think is a good person. And not any women, and that's not a statement that that's true, that's his own experience. And Solomon was known to have a thousand uh, women, 700 wives and 300 concubines. So obviously, he really didn't know what he was doing with women, right? <laughs> so thank you, Solomon, for telling us you couldn't find one, and we see that you've got issues, right? But the point is this. There's not any good women. There's not any good men. There's not any good person. He says, you look throughout all the earth. And here's the problem. And this isn't popular to say. Here's why the craving for righteousness or worthiness or value destroys us. Because we'll never be able to reach it. We'll never be able to attain it. We'll never be able to have it. If you say, here's what I really prize about myself. I'm a good friend. You will always fail at being a good friend. There will be times in your life that you totally blow it at being a good friend. And if you say, man, you know what? Here's how I know that, here, here's what I really love about my life. Here's, here's what I really prize. I'm a, for me, you know, I'm a, I'm a good pastor. And I am going to blow it at being a pastor. And if you say, man, it's, it's this thing or that thing or you're going to, if you, man, parents do this all the time. Where parents feel like, man, for me, I, all I ever wanted was to love my kids and invest in my kids. And, and then a lot of times what happens is their kids grow older and they, they turn back to them and say, you were never there for me. Or you were, and they're like, what? All I ever did was for you. And it can be crushing to them. Because that's where they've built their value and their worth. You've probably had some of these conflicts with your parents. He says, here's, here, here's why the craving for righteousness destroys us, because we will never be able to attain it. Here's why you feel down. Here's why you feel stressed out. Here's why you feel burnt out. Here's, here's, why, here's why sometimes you have to numb and distract yourself from other things. And, and here's sometimes why you don't even try at things, because you don't want to fail. Because the craving for righteousness destroys us because we're not righteous. We fail in many ways to live up to our own standards. I'm not even talking about other people's standards, but your own, we fail in many ways to live up to our own standards. We fail in many ways to love people the way we want to and know we should. You see, why does it destroy us? He says, here's why. If you are trying to be overly righteous and overly wise, and that's where you'll find value and worthiness, and you've got that hunger in you, like the author says, if that's there, you know why it's going to destroy you? Because you'll never be able to reach it. No matter what it is up there, you will never reach it. And so it destroys us. Destroys us in all the different ways that we talked about, and it destroys our relationships in all the different ways that we talked about. So here's the final question. Can we experience the value that we're looking for? 
Can we ever experience that? If, if we've got these different ways that we set up and they fail us and we fail them and we don't live up to our standards and so we feel down or we feel stressed or we feel burnt out, can we experience the value that we're looking for? And if so, where, where would we find that? Where would we find that? And here, here's the thing. We all know that this is a problem. We all know it's a problem. That's why the author of the New York Times column is able to point that out without any reference to the Bible. We all know this is a problem. We all know that this search for value or worthiness is an issue that we face. And usually the answer given of where to find the value outside of the Bible, usually the answer given for that is basically these two things. Who cares what other people think about you? Which is why we say that so often. Who cares what other people think about you? Who cares what other people's standards are for you? Who cares what other people say about you? That doesn't matter. Here's what matters. What matters is what you think about you. So usually when we say, where can I experience the value that I'm looking for? Usually the answer given is this. It doesn't matter what other people say. Look within. It doesn't matter what other people's thoughts are of you. It doesn't matter what other people say about you. You are special. You are smart. You are beautiful. You are a good friend. You are worthy. You are valuable. That's usually the answer that's given. See, we all know that this is a problem, that we hunger for this value, that we search for this value, that we don't meet this value. This is why there's so much talk about low self-esteem and, and all these different things. We all know that that's a problem. Can we experience it? The answer given is usually this. It doesn't matter what other people say. It matters what you think. Tell yourself the truth about you. Maybe even for those of us that are more inclined to this kind of thing, even out loud speak, I am strong. I am capable. I am worthy. That's usually the answer that's given. But here's, here's the reality. We can't do that. We cannot say it doesn't matter what other people think. We can say it, sure, but, but we can't actually live like that. We need a declaration from outside of us that is affirming us. We need that. That is why no matter how many times you tell yourself it doesn't matter what other people think, you still desperately want a voice from outside of you to say you have worth you have value, you matter. No matter how many times we look in the mirror and tell ourselves we're strong and capable and great and, and it doesn't matter what other people think, we still desperately care because we need a voice from the outside. We need a voice from the outside. We are designed that way. Otherwise, it wouldn't be such a complicated issue for us all the time. When we go to the Bible, we go to the New Testament, we go to the New Testament and Paul talks about the very same thing that the author of Ecclesiastes is talking about. He even quotes from it, most people believe. And he talks about the same problem that the author points out in Ecclesiastes, that we aren't righteous, that we don't have the value that we are looking for. Here's what he says. No one is righteous, as it is written. No one is righteous. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. 
No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. It's even talking about the way we talk bad about others. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. And he points out one of the same things that the author says of Ecclesiastes. There's no fear of God before their eyes. So he says, look, it's the same thing that Ecclesiastes said. Here's the problem. No one is righteous. No one does good. No one meets the standard of righteousness. And we do these things that break relationships. And we don't fear God, which is to say to revere Him above all else and value Him above. We don't do that. Now we know that whatever the law says, and he's talking about the Old Testament that God had given, the the law God had given to his people, Israel. Whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his, that's God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. He says, look, when you read the Bible... And the different things it says of how to love people and be a good friend and be, I mean, all these different things that that we want our value in, to work hard, all these things, he says, our mouths have to be stopped. Because we have to go, whoa, I stand guilty. And that we are accountable to God. You, You read the law, the Bible, the Old Testament, and knowledge of sin comes. Because you read about things like, hey, love your neighbor as yourself, and you go, Oh, as soon as I read that, I realize that I am sinning. Be compassionate. As soon as I read that, I realize I'm not as compassionate. But then here's what he says. Here's this outside voice that we long for. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, it's the Old Testament, bear witness to it. They talk about the righteousness of God. But it's come now apart from that. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, again as Ecclesiastes says, and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified, that's made right, that's given that value, that's given that worth, that's made okay, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So here's what he says. Can we experience the value that we are looking for? You know what he says? He says, we're all guilty. This is the problem. This is why the craving, this is why we search for it and search for it and it doesn't fulfill. This is why, because we aren't righteous. He says, here's here's the answer. Here's how you can experience it. Jesus gives you his worth. Jesus gives you his righteousness. Jesus gives you his value. See, instead of seeking it and earning it, and if I do these things, then I will have it. Instead of even saying, it doesn't matter what other people think about me, it just matters what I think about me. He says, no, here's the reality. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. It doesn't matter what you think about you. Because the reality is this. You are broken. All of us. We aren't righteous. We do fail. We don't live up to it. He says, but here's something good. Here's something good news. Instead of you earning it, Jesus gives you a gift of his righteousness. He says, I actually have lived the perfect life. There is not a righteous person, but I am the righteous person. And on the cross, what theologians call the great exchange happened. 
where all of our sin, all of the ways that we fail at all the things that we don't want to fail at, all of our sin goes to Jesus. And he pays the penalty for it. But all of his righteousness and his value and his worth goes to us. And so that when God looks at us, he says, you know what I see? I see Jesus. I see the perfect life of Jesus. You long to be a good friend? Jesus was the perfect friend. You long to be a good parent? Jesus is the perfect parent that never fails in any way and always loves his children the way he should. You long to be a hardworking person that values work ethic? Jesus did all the work he was supposed to do. And what this passage says is all of that worth, all of that value that Jesus has, he gives to you. And so that when God looks at us, he isn't measuring us based on our performance or how well we've done. But he looks at Jesus and says, I count that as for you. This gives us a security because it's not based on us. And here's what this means. This is what the author says at the very beginning of his passage in Ecclesiastes. He says that we are to take hold and fear God. Don't be overly righteous. Don't be overly wise. Take hold of this and fear God. And this is the same thing that he's talking about. Look to God. Let God define you. Let God speak in. Let God's opinion, let who God is matter most. And take hold of that, he says, which means this, in the moment, this week, today probably, when you're feeling down or you're feeling burnt out or you're feeling stressed out or you're feeling, what do other people think of me? He says, take hold of this. Which is to say, you say, you know what? I can actually admit that I do fail. I can admit that I'm not the person I should be. And instead, what I can do is take hold, fear God, which is take hold, and look to Jesus and say, but thank you, Jesus, that you're the one that defines me. Thank you that you give me a worth and a value outside of what I do, but it's based on what you do. This is what we need. And when we believe this, it creates in us a grace for other people that fail. It creates an inclusivity of other people that don't measure up. It, it, it starts to, instead of destroy us, it starts to bring life to us. It gives us a peace and a rest to be able to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to be wise. I'm trying to do a good job. But I also know I do fail. I'm not good. But Jesus, you are, and thank you that you look at me and define me based on what you do, not what I do. When that truth sinks into us, there's peace, there's grace for others, there's love for others. See, here's what we all need. We need to face our worst fears, which is that we are not enough. We need to face our worst fears which is that we are not enough. Instead of telling ourselves, I am enough, we need to face the truth. We're not enough. But He is. And we can surrender and let Him be the one that gives us value. When we take communion, we remember these things. That on the cross, in Jesus' death, that he forgave us of all the failures and all the sins and all the unrighteousness 
and gave us his. And we celebrate in the resurrection that Jesus is alive and gives us his very life. So pray with me, and we will respond in singing and prayer and communion. God, thank you that this is true. I know that we all wrestle with this at various levels, and, and, and God, I ask, I ask even right now this, that uh, for, for people that this is a truth that just seems really difficult. Maybe it seems difficult because they, they haven't come to a point, God, where they are willing to admit that they aren't righteous. For, for people that have that mindset, God, I pray that you would bring conviction. And maybe, God, it's for those of us that just, it seems too far removed to let you define us. We, we just crave so much other people's voice or our own voice. And it's hard to, by faith, say, no, I'll listen to your voice. God, help us if that's where we are. To, by faith, receive your righteousness for us. And so I ask this, God, and as we pray and take communion and sing, let these truths fill our hearts in new ways.